0: you know i i was actually saying to to the elders just in what we're going to do today and i said look, i would like us just before we go to just have a time just encourage people to rest well you know it's not for for nothing called holy days you know <coughs> and uh um, it is is days that should be set apart um actually was it originally set apart to to in, uh, remember the lord and and everything that comes with that um but you know in, in in my preparation i i actually felt that not to speak about not to just go through that type of motion and, and i'll i'll just say it again please rest please get to the lord please do what you need to do over this time but i actually feel just to speak a little bit on on something else you know i i said to a couple of people before and you know i'm I actually feel like I'm going to speak on the the Mock of the Beast, the Antichrist, and the One World Order. And all of you, as I'm speaking now, are grinning because you think I'm joking. But I'm not joking. I actually want to speak about that. I actually think, like, it's good to speak about it. The reason why I think it's good to speak about it is I feel like there's an increased information on regards to those things that is flushing. Um our, uh, it's flushing towards the information that comes towards us. And as I said to them, you know, the, 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 the problem with it is there's so many theories and so many things out there in regards to the Mark of the Beast, the One World Order, the Antichrist, and all those type of things. And from the church's side, it many times feel like, look, that's the one area that we won't speak. We'll just say, Jesus loves you continue it and then we leave these type of things up <laughs> we leave it up and we leave it to really facebook conspiracists to set the tone of what we are or what we ought to believe concerning these things you know. and so i i um i hope that we will be able to walk away today and um, subtly demystify some of these things but in some ways really get to what what it is all about, you know. So I still feel, it still feels—it feels like a small meeting. It feels like a small meeting, but it feels like a big meeting. What I mean, like this, is the setting feels like there's not too many people, but the way that people are geared is like it's a large meeting. So I need to do something. social distance, stand up, <laughs> stand up please, and sit in any other chair, uh, other than the chair right now, and if possible, I don't know if there's any specific reason, if you guys can maybe sit to the front, if you can just have a, a little bit of a feel, even if you guys just want to swap, I just want, <laughs> just a little bit of a shaking up, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, that was nice. All right. So um I'm gonna read a verse. I'm gonna read a verse. This this feels already a bit better. It feels like we can we can speak as as normal people to one another. In fact, I, I wonder even if I we're not recording anything. I'm gonna try. Let's let's try if we can. can oh yeah, sorry, sorry. sorry. Um, so if we can do Second Corinthians eleven, verse one. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So, you know, I think whenever we it's a beautiful portion eh it's like Paul understanding that there's just so many thoughts at at that stage I mean in that stage coming to the church you know and the the, the thinking is like so so what is Christianity all about? what is this thing about walking with God all about just the Bible is full of all kinds of things, all kinds of theories, all kinds of verses and at the end there's so many information, so many takes on it what is it what is it all about and somehow, Paul, as in our days, would feel, yes, I, I'm just so afraid that somehow the simplicity of what you guys got saved into will all kind of be washed away by a bunch of theories, a bunch of things, uh, and in that way, you guys would be, would be deceived. Now, there is a question, and I think it's an important question, and it is, what is, what, I mean, I know it's, It might seem quite basic, but what is it that God wants to do on the earth? (laughs) Now, I I can tell you guys that God has done a lot of things in my life, and so God has done a lot of things in your life. God has provided for me for a wife. (laughs) God has provided for me income many times. God has made a way for me to go on a holiday, all right? And so... Of course, all of these things comes from God, and God has worked it, and I can give you testimonies of many of those things, but (laughs) I would understand, and I hope you guys would understand, that the primary work, what God is doing on the earth, is not just to make a way for me to go on holiday. He's done it, so I'm not saying, and I'm not denying that God has done certain things. My question is, what is the primary work that God wants to do? What is the ultimate? What is the... What is the ping of what God, when God goes on the earth and he looks at it, he goes like, all right, this is what I ultimately want to accomplish. Now, there's all kinds of, as I said, things that tags along, like he provides for us and he, you know, he, d- he does all kinds of things, but there's a primary work that he does. Now, I'm going to read in, uh, this week, I've, I've, well, this last month, I taught Ephesians at, the, at uh, TMT, so it is a bit fresh <laughs> in my mind. But I want to go there quickly. So Ephesians 1, verse 3 and 4. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just as he chose us before the foundation of the earth. Just keep it there. I just want to mention this. Why is this so important for me? The important thing about that is that Paul comes and he says, what did God decide he wants to do before the foundation of the earth? What is making it difficult is sometimes we would think God is reactional in the way that His purposes plan out. So, for instance, God didn't have a plan; Adam sinned, and so suddenly come up with a plan. Oh, shucks, we need to do something here. You know, uh, um, things happen in our lives. You know, who would have thought Biden would be elected for president? You know, and suddenly God needs to make up a new plan what to do on the earth. Flip! I didn't see that one coming. And what to do now? What to do now? Who thought Zuma will be corrupt for nine years? Shucks. And suddenly God needs to find out a new plan and a new purpose on the earth to, to straighten out everything that went on. But but Paul is saying, even before the foundation of the earth, before God made anything, before Adam sin, before the existence of sin, before the fall of Satan, the foundation of the earth and God is unique in this sense and that God plans it no amount of things that happen on the earth is going to shake him from that plan he is not reactionary in his plan making and that's why God has the privilege to be the only being in the whole world that has this thing that he can do he can predestine you know what it means to be able to predestine to be able to purpose and to make that purpose happen no other being on the earth can do that he can purpose and make that purpose happen. And therefore, He can predestine. Okay. See, that predestined word already throws some of you guys off. It's like, there's association there. Just don't do it, all right? Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before Him in love. And so I want to take, and I know this verse in regards to chosen, has, has taken so many thoughts and so many ideas on. But I want to present to you this thing. That the point that Paul is making is that God has chosen a purpose in Christ Jesus. One of the big things in how the church has taken that verse is there is all the people of all the time stand before God. He's got their pictures before him. And then he starts going, Heaven, 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 hell, heaven, 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 hell, 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 hell. This one I chose, this one I this one I chose, this one I don't, this one I chose made the separation. It's not what the verse is trying to say. It's trying to say that before the foundation of the earth, God has chosen His purposes to be in Christ Jesus. That would be the central purpose of His plan. A couple of verses down the line, we get now to the eternal end, verse 9 and 10. Having made known to us the mystery of His will. Now He's made known to us the mystery of His will, according to the good pleasure of which He purposed in Himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time. So we, we've been now before the foundation of the earth. Before time, before anything, God purposed. And now Paul is taking us all the way. Now at the end of it all, at the eternal end, he started at the eternal beginning, before time, and now he starts on the other side of time, at the eternal end. What does God wants to do on the earth? Having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation—dispensation dispensation is a time period—of the fullness of time. so so Paul would say, there's many dispensations. There's a dispensation of of Israel. There's a dispensation of grace. There's a dispensation of of several things. Now Paul says, if you if you gather all these dispensations in the fullness of times, when it all when it all finishes, we might gather together in one. in, In one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him. From the beginning, God's purposes were set up in Christ Jesus. And at the end, it will all come down to Him being all in all. Now, just one last one. Ephesians 3, verse 9 and 10 to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according according to the eternal purpose which He accomplish in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so according to the eternal purpose of God, that which in eternity is burning in God's heart is to establish Christ as the answer. Here's the problem. It's not a problem, but it it needs clarification. If the eternal purpose of God, if that which is purpose, that which is chosen is to do in Christ Jesus, it is good for me to clarify how to test on the earth whether something falls into that category or not. Okay. God, Jesus, has a character of love right and so surely the character of god's love is presented on the earth when there is say for instance world peace i mean surely it's a quality that god can bring and we can give god glory that he can raise up politicians and he can raise up certain men that encourage peace god can come up and he can give some people the understanding and the knowledge to bring about, I wanted to say vaccine, but I thought that might be too. Because God will never give anybody wisdom to make a vaccine. Only the devil does that. But say, for instance, let's not call it a vaccine. Let's call it a medicine. God is He. He provides the wisdom and understanding for someone to have the knowledge to to, to create medicine that's going to bring worldwide health. Surely that would be something of God's heart that He would like to see help. <laughs> this, ma- <laughs> this carpet is stripping me off. Right. <laughs> so, but this is the thing that we can we can judge every work of God's. God's primary work on the earth in Christ Jesus can always be traced back cross this is my this is this is my statement and and, and please go with me or hear me try and try and follow me every work on the earth every work on the earth that doesn't find its origin in the cross or is an outflow of the work of the cross is a secondary work saying, if if we eradicate world hunger, we don't need the cross. If we eradicate world poverty, we don't need the cross. If we eradicate all war, we don't necessarily need the cross. So I don't feel, uh, my crowd is small this morning, but I don't know uh, I don't know, I don't know quite where I'm at with them. Alright, so, (laughs) so, (laughs) the primary work of God looks at a work that can only be done by one thing and one thing alone, and that's the cross. When it comes to the lostness of people, there is no remedy, no information, no medicine, no knowledge. No intention of man can ever remove that. The only solution that could ever come to the lost, or to a a separate people is the cross. All right? And that would be God's primary work. Now, anything that comes as an outflow of that would be, and, and, and I will explain it. If I would encourage you guys. Listen, guys. Increase in your relationship with Jesus. You cannot... It's not a direct, It's not directly get saved, but it is something that would only be possible through the cross. You couldn't have had relationship with Jesus through the cross. So what I'm saying is every work that we encourage people, every work that we ask people that is not a direct working of the cross or a direct outflow of the working of the cross is secondary to God's work on the earth. And you can judge any work by that. says to us in 1 Corinthians 1, actually I feel like a little bit of a classroom setting in the size, so I actually want to hear, you guys do understand what I'm, Was that clear what I'm saying? so, So 1 Corinthians, it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message. preached to save those who believe. For Jews requested a sign and Greeks Seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews. And see, that's it's Christ is the message, but it's Christ crucified that is the message to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger. Than men, And so, if we would understand that ultimately on the earth, what God wants to do is establish Christ and the outworking of his cross on the earth, then we need to understand what the devil wants to do. Now I want to speak about the devil, all right? What on earth wants the devil to do? What does he want to do? Now, yes, the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy, and so in any way possible, as God wants to come and bring give us life and life in abundance and God will give this way the wisdom and the skill to build a house to provide for his family and God will even supernaturally bless him to go on holiday to Kakamas or something like that, you know. But um, where, where, where was I? I? I got lost at Kakamas. <laughs> but Ultimately, the primary work of God is the fact that Jesus Christ saved him and the outflowing of that, partaking of that inheritance as a Son of God and to grow into that. Now, Satan does the opposite. Now, Satan wants to do many things. He wants to steal financially from him. He wants to take away his holiday at Carcumas, you know, and uh, all, all that type of things. But that's not the primary work of Satan. The primary work of Satan would be found in the primary work of God and is to go against the primary work of God. Now there is an agent of Satan that the Bible teaches us will come to the earth. And the Bible also makes it clear that it's not going to be only one, although there might be a figure that will be all representation of the agent of Satan, it seems that there will be many that will carry that name. And their name would be the Antichrist. Now I'm gonna not. I'm gonna try and make it really easy for you guys. All right. His function is all in the name. It's not difficult. Anti. Christ. Anti. Christ. More than what he wants to establish. I'm trying to know. Uh, a disorderly vaccine. Alter DNA of man more than what he wants to trick people in all kinds of things. His ultimate work is to combat Christ and his work. And if we get sidetracked on a battle that does not in centrality have Christ, we must. And the enemy has actually got us to drift away from the ultimate battle. Okay, so I'm gonna we're gonna get back to the Antichrist, right? I want to say uh, in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5. So, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't, do not war according to the flesh. And this is important. Though we don't fight, and, and though we walk in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. Our battle is not a fleshly battle. Alright? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down... Arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, one of the things that you guys would have heard is that the Antichrist is coming. Well, let me I just want to read this to you. One, one, 1 John 3. I think it's... 21, 1 John 2, 21, 18. Little children, it is the last hour as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing, you've got the Spirit of God in you, from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and and that no lies of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. That's it, right? So, I'm just like, just as, as making it simple, you know, to that extent, if you are a Jew, which is God's chosen people in the Old Testament, which deny Christ as the only way to God, you are part of the Antichrist. I'm just I'm just saying that that definition says the Antichrist is whoever denies Christ, no matter your background, whether you're American, South African, or Jewish. The understanding for God is whoever denies Him, and that is the tactic of the enemy. Now, you've heard that the Antichrist. Is about to set up a one-world order. Right now, it's get juicy. I didn't get you guys' attention, and now suddenly, beginning you can speak about Jesus all day long. But as soon as you speak about the one-world order from the Antichrist, suddenly you get people. All right, so, so you've heard about the Antichrist and the one-world order that it's about to come, and you would have known, and you would have heard that the one-world order has been told in the book of Revelation is about or will come at some stage. Now I want to ask you guys, other than having heard a guy says, the one, world, the one world order, as it says in the book of Revelation, have you ever had the person that said that quote the verse in Revelation that says that? Or does it always just say in the book of Revelation? I found this amazing trick. If you want people to stop arguing, just say it's in the book of Revelation. People go like, okay, man, I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't even touch the book of Revelation. You just say the book of Revelation. I believe you. No, but, but, but really to go take the time. Because I, I was just, it was quite interesting for me because I grew up like the one world order where the Antichrist is going to come and rule and reign and set up. And so, so much of what we have to do on the earth is to see and to challenge the one world order, globalism, for that sake. For that sake, for, 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 for that sake. And so, as I looked through the book of Revelation, increasingly, I could find not one verse in the book of Revelation that speaks of a one world order that the Antichrist is going to set up. Yet, I, I, where's Stuart? was here. I, said to, I said to Stuart this morning, I said to him, Stewart, do you believe in the one world order? He says, yes, of course, it's in the Bible. I asked him, what verse in the Bible? It's, it's, it's in the book of Revelation, man. He's like, but what verse in the book of Revelation? It's in the book of Revelation. It's like, and that is, for me, classic of so many Christians about. There's a one world order that the Antichrist is going to come up with. There's not one verse. And I know some of you are looking with me. I will find it. I will find it. I'll tell you what it says. It says to us that the Antichrist will rule the nations. And so what has happened? And this is my theory. I've got a theory, everybody's got a theory. This is my theory, alright? So much of how we think today is shaped <laughs> by American politics. Alright? And so. Listen here, guys. I want to say to you, the answer, the answer is Christ and the cross. The answer is not even a political party that stands for Christian Judeo principles. Christian Judeo principles is not going to change us. It's only Christ. Now, of course, when I am as a citizen of a country and I need to choose between what party I will vote for, I will rather vote for Christian Judeo principles than pagan principles. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've got the mic, I know, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> I'll give it to you later. Uh <laughs> I'm joking. But but still a political a political mandate, even if it carries the principles of Christianity, won't won't change anything or anybody. It's not locked up in the purpose of, of God. So, a large part of the Christian mind in America is political. And so the Christian, and I'm just saying, this is, this is my theory. The Christian party, in, 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 or the party that will associate, or most Christians will associate with, are all about patriotism and nationalism. Make America great again. The bad side, or the other side, not the bad side, sorry. The side that's on the other side would be more for globalism. And would say no. Let's have relationships between nations. Let's have all kinds of things. And so, what the theory is increasingly has become is that party is busy setting up the Antichrist and making up. And here's the world has been. The world has been discovered a one-world order, so that the Antichrist can come and rule in it. But I want to say, patriotism and nationalism is as deceptive and is as far from God's purposes as globalism. God's purpose is not in make South Africa great again. God's purpose is not in making America great again. God's purpose is not in making Israel great again. In fact, that very patriotism theology has kept people from believing in Jesus 2,000 years ago and caused them to run after a wrong wrong mandate right so <laughs> i got him again i, I needed to all right so now the problem is there's a mark of the beast all right so in revelation 13 uh, revelation 12 you find that we are introduced not not the first time but as, again, we are introduced to the to the dragon, all right, which is called the serpent of old, as in the Garden of Eden. Obviously, it's the devil, and it's called the devil. And then in, Re- and in Revelation 13, the next chapter, we see his agent is coming about, which is called the beast. Again, it's not a literal beast. We understand it. It's a human being that is just called, in picture language, a beast. If you're going too literal about it, we're going to miss it out. It's not an creature that's going to come out. It's a human being that's going to represent the Antichrist spirit. And one of the things that's going to be done is the mark of the beast. That's in the Bible. And the number is, in the Bible, 666. Six, six. Please, guys, don't forget the battle that we're in. Don't get derailed about a battle. Okay, The blood of Jesus is so great. It can wash away all our sins except for the chip that comes under your skin. <laughs> Nothing can stand against the cross except that tattoo. Right? Come on. Come on, guys. We we can't get we can't lose sight on what this battle and what the thing is all about. I'm afraid. That somehow we get deceived and walking away from the simplicity of relationship with Jesus. So, in prophetic language, numbers has a meaning. In fact, there's a whole study field on it called numerology. And So, number three, for instance, means divine perfection. Number four means redemption. Number five means grace. Number six, I'll say it now. Number six, seven means Spiritual perfection. Number eight means covenant. Number ten means completion. Number twelve means government. Number fourteen means tribulation. 14 means tribulation. The numbers have different meanings in scripture. Number six means the number of man. The number of man. So why is that significant? Why is the number of man significant? Six. 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 Even as I say it, I can feel. Six, six, six. Now my son is walking out, you know, it's like. (laughs) So, in the beginning. life that you would know him it was Christ so in the beginning there was this two options between man which was Christ and the enemy comes to man with this representation if you will partake of this thinking if you will partake of this tree you would become independent of God and you will become like God's in your own eyes that don't need God. And from that time on, your question will no longer be concerned of whether it's Christ or not Christ. But your concern will simply become this. Is it good or is it bad? Are we doing a good thing on the earth? Are we solving world hunger? Are we solving world peace? Are we solving this? Or are there bad things on the earth? God, that's a... It's, it's a... It's a man concern. It's a thinking of man concern. So the whole problem then is, from the beginning, there will come a tree where man becomes independent from himself. In Matthew 16, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, after you get the revelation of Jesus, Peter, you are so blessed because the Father has just revealed to you me. And on the revelation of Jesus, by the way, I will build my church. And Peter, and all my disciples, I've got some other news for you as well. This is going to be contrary to the thinking of man. But in a couple of days from now, I will have to be crucified. I have to be killed. So God's work, I just want to say this, God's work is never to modify anything. His primary work is never to modify anything. His primary work is always death and resurrection. His primary work is not to make something just nicer. His primary work is always to death and resurrection. And so Peter, he says, guys, I'll have to be crucified. And Peter stood up and said to him, may it never be. <laughs> that's, that's not positive thinking, God. That's, uh, come on, get a grip of yourself, Jesus. We're busy to make a great thing here. We're establishing Israel back to its original intent. All those things. And Jesus says to him, you know what Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, you are mindful of the things of man. Get behind me, Satan. You think like a man. And so really, guys, what the number of six is representing is what the trick of the devil was from the beginning." is to raise up an independent people that will see themselves as gods in their own eyes that would not need God. It is so simple. I want to tell you guys today, if a bunch of Satanists catch me tonight, grab me and drag me to a jail, tattoo 666 on my forehead, I will not fear. I wouldn't necessarily like it, but I won't like it if they tattoo... 777 also on my head. I just don't want a bunch of numbers on my head tattooed. But whether it's 666, 777, 555, my cell number, whatever, I don't care really. I don't really care. Because the number is not representing merely an outward sign or an outward chip or an outward thing that God, the battle of all the ages is all about. The battle of all the ages is that somehow Man will become gods in their own eyes where they no longer turn to Christ as the answer, but they turn to themselves and their own reasoning as the answer. And I want to ask you guys, you know, even as we are looking at this moment, see, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'll say that. So, so, for instance, um, there's a the thing, uh, Someone help me. Um, he, he, he might. Uh, he's clearly a man of God. I'm, uh, there's no doubt for me. He's a man of God that is not afraid to stand up to, uh, for the things of God. And he prayed. And he prayed against the vaccine. Firstly, the, the media did twist these words definitely. And they said that he prayed that the vaccine is from the Antichrist and so on. What he prayed is like, if there is anything in the vaccine that is an agenda of the enemy, stop it. And if there is anything, and then he went on, if there is anything of the mark of the beast that wants to be established from it, stop it. Now, I I really are encouraged by the fact that a man is willing to pray for what he believes, stand up for what he believes. But I want to say to you guys clearly that the agenda of Satan, of getting the mark of the beast on you is not going to come for a vaccine. That's not the battle. It is not to subtly get some chip on your skin. It's not to subtly get some tattoo. The battle for all the ages is in your heart that Jesus will remain King and Lord over all, that we will turn to Him for life, That we will turn to him for answers and not turn to ourselves and celebrate ourselves above all things. I want us to, there's just so many battles, so many things done in the name of Christianity. And as uh, we're joking about globalism and the one world order, I'm afraid that patriotism, make countries great again, establish Christian order and nations which is not a bad thing as such, but subtly it starts derailing us for what the ultimate purpose is on the earth. We have not a political agenda. We don't have a social agenda, firstly. We have not a philosophical agenda. We preach Christ and Him crucified. And the fruit that comes from that is the life that we are after. If I say, set your mind on the things above, be eternal-minded, it is only something that is a root of Christ and Him crucified. You can't be eternal-minded without the origin of the root of Christ and Him being crucified. And He promised us. This is such an encouraging promise. Nations will come and go. America is not eternal. It's just amazing. We become so patriotic. Not even for South Africa now. We find a new nation to get patriotic. America. We don't even live there. It's just like I'm fighting for America. Let it become great again. America is gonna come and go. That's what the Bible says. Nations is gonna come and go. But there's one kingdom. It's one kingdom that is born from above. That is not born from below. And that is the kingdom that is born from Christ. It's the church. I want to ask you know in this time that we will be that we will be um, devoted to keep the main thing the main thing, and that we will not be in some ways in this time with a bunch of information be derailed in something else. As a, as a. Someone, I I, I got into ministry, I was less than a year saved than I got into ministry. I got saved when I was 22, when I was 23, I was in ministry. And I somehow, from the beginning, had this understanding that the big trap of ministry is that sometimes people get derailed to start elevating ministry or the things of God, above God. I mean, you guys have heard it so that warning and revelation to, to the church of Ephesus, this I can say to you, that you've shown that you can discern who is apostles or not. You've shown that you've got spiritual skill. You've shown that you've got perseverance and endurance. But this one thing I have against you, that you have forsaken your first love. I've known that message. I've preached it and proclaimed it. Guys, we are not going to celebrate church stuff. We're going to firstly be founded in Christ and be rooted in Christ. I'm gonna to say to you guys, stand at the end of a year. Jesus speaks, to the, uh, Jesus speaks about the virgins. He says there's a wise virgin and there's a foolish virgin. You know what's the problem with the foolish virgin? You know, the foolish virgin was foolish in that it was able to draw from oil that was found in the previous season. And so when they minister the foolish virgin, they were still alive. But it was not because they were pumping in their walk with Jesus currently. It was because they were able to draw some oil from the previous season. I have in this season, I'm telling you guys, I've honestly told you guys, there were times that I'm thinking, yes, I am neglecting my relationship with Jesus. But somehow when I'm functioning, the life is still there. I was foolish. I was foolish because I was drawing from oil from a previous season. And I'm coming to the end of a season, you know, and suddenly that barrel is very empty. (laughs) Someone prophesied to me the other day and said, like, you have been moving away and start ministering from your experience and from your ability to know man. And even though you speak accurately on what is going into man, there is no fruit because it's separate from the life that comes from God. Return to God. Return to God. I want to say, you know, even though I've proclaimed that message and even though I've held on to it, I got tricked. And somehow the fact that ministry was still going on and there was some fruit, I thought in my core, I'm actually okay. But Back in the ranch, my relationship with Jesus was not at its place. I tell you, I warned people, I warned myself. I promised myself I would never be that pastor, and I've become that pastor in some ways. I fell into that trap. Praise God that I got shaken out. Or I'm, I'm like in that journey of coming out. But I want to, I want to, I want to urge you guys with this thing as well as we, as we stop, as we, as we end. That ultimately, guys. When Paul says, I bethrove you to one husband, as chaste virgins, that somehow you will not forget this relationship, <laughs> this relationship with him. And that you won't get deceived by all kinds of theories, that you will not get deceived by all kinds of works, that you will not get deceived by all kinds of slogans, by all kinds of mandates. And somehow at the core, it's shaken in your relationship with Jesus. It is called that simple. It is called that simple. It is called that simple. Maybe hold on in the season, and maybe hold on till kingdom come, really. In the simplicity of our relationship with Jesus. I'm reading you guys, I'm gonna end off with this verse. It's in Philippians three. And I will just say this. You know. I remember at some stage, and I I don't want to pick on the Israel thing and the Jewish things, you know. I mean, God has a plan for the Jewish people. God has a plan for the Jewish people. And His plan for them is Jesus. Jews without Jesus goes to hell. Jews without Jesus goes to hell. And His desire for them same desire for us is that they can come to Jesus. Paul says in, in Romans 10, I've got this testimony of my Jewish friends, of my Jewish countrymen, is that they've got great zeal for God, but it's separate from knowledge because they try to establish a righteousness apart from faith in Jesus. So Paul, as someone that has the background. Of a nationalist like never before. A Jew of Jews. Okay, let me just read. For we are the circumcision and worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Listen to his resume. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew. Concerning the law, Pharisee. Concerning zeal, well, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things a loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. For whom I have suffered the last of all things, and count them as rubbish. I just want to say to you guys, that word rubbish there, if I have to translate it into Afrikaans, there's a three-letter word, but only two letters. A K in the beginning and a K in the end. That's what he's saying there. I have counted as, as done nice English, that I may gain Christ, be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the Lord, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. Paul really, can I say, arguably He's written 13 of the 27 New Testament books. It would have been 14 if we give him Hebrews. But we're a little bit unsure of it. But I'm telling you, you should have given him Hebrews. But the reason why we're doubtful, so that Paul could never say, I wrote more than half of the New Testament. So now we don't know and we say, okay, he wrote 13. But actually, I tell you, he wrote more than half of the New Testament. Give him Hebrews. Come on. He the end of his life this is his third last book written second or second or third last book written at the end of his life the most successful christian of all time i consider i consider all things a loss for the excellence of knowing the theory around the beast knowing the theory around and the, no for the excellence of knowing jesus it's so amazing how when we get older in the Lord, how we start thinking knowing Jesus is something that we have in the beginning. And now we're getting to get into all kinds of theories and something like that. At the end of his life, at the end of his life, I consider all things a loss for the excellence of knowing Jesus. My pursuit has stay clear. I want to know him crucified so that I can perform his resurrection. So let's pray. And then we're going to worship the one. All right. Father, I pray, I pray, Lord, that this line that we need to keep, this mandate that we need to keep, Father, and all the things that at this time of day wants to shake us off this line, off the main thing, Father, I pray that you will keep us, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we will not be shaken by all kinds of theories, all kinds of agendas, all kinds of things that go about, Father, but that we will be kept by your Spirit to the simplicity, of the gospel, that we will be kept by your spirit through the simplicity of knowing Jesus. Father, I pray in this time that goes ahead, Father, this holiday time, Lord, that you will refresh us. But Father, we know even though that our bodies need to rest, and Jesus, we're going to rest our bodies. Jesus, we're going to rest our souls. (laughs) But Jesus, we know even above it all, we want to get refreshed in you. We're going to refresh in intimacy with you. We want to get refreshed at your feet. We want to get refreshed at gazing into your face. There is nothing like your face. The ultimate gift of the Father, His Son. Him we will pursue. In Jesus' name.